0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Amen. Well, this morning, I'm going to be speaking um, and starting a, a three-week uh, co- not course, but three-week series uh, called Dream Big. I want to I want to speak today on this because on the 7th of February in three weeks we're going to be landing this series um, right onto what I call Vision Day. For the last two two years I've been doing a what I call a Vision Day, which is effectively a day where we just kind of f- refocus, look at the year ahead, at what God's doing, and just share with you some of the things that we believe God's taking in direction. And uh, what God's going to be doing this year? Because I'm always excited at the beginning of a year of what's going to happen in, through that year. And I don't know about you, but I can really acknowledge that God has been doing some amazing things through us as a church, through the body of Christ here in the last couple of years that I've uh, I've seen uh, under this time that I've been pastoring the church. I'm really encouraged by that. But I, I also believe that it's every year we should kind of reflect look at what's happening, and look and, and readjust, look at different things we can do. And there is ex- some exciting things in the pipeline already that we've been planning, things that we're going to be doing, new things that are going to be added into the church this year. And uh, I'm so encouraged by that. But the the reason why I want to look at this today is to kind of lead us to that place. And um, I believe as a church, when we want to think big about something, it's not always about big buildings. Lots of people think about, you know, they want to have a big, big building. Well, we do. We want to see more people saved. Amen. But actually, the greatest thing that we need is we need a big vision. We need a big heart. We need big everything in terms of believing for the best. In excellence, we need to believe for greatness in our faith. You know, there's no point having a big building if you've got weak faith, is there? Anyone can have a big building but be weak in faith. So I want to encourage you that over these next few weeks, I just want to look, and we're going to be focusing on this springboard today from Nehemiah. And I encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah um, around this, just to look at the story. It's kind of a, you're probably wondering why I've chose that, but Nehemiah, um, he lived at the time, as we're going to pick up, lived at the time in Susa, in modern day Iran under king artaxerxes he was the cupbearer to king artaxerxes and he lived with him and he saw in through Ezra's time because Nehemiah just following Ezra he saw at that time that Jerusalem had lost all its walls had been destroyed and he was it upset him so much in fact it says that he wept over Jerusalem that the walls had come down and were broken and he was under this uh under serving uh, king artaxerxes And at that time, he had a desire to go and help the Jews in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Many of you know the story of rebuilding the walls that Nehemiah helped to do. In fact Nehemiah had a strategy and a plan. It come prophetically into his heart that he wanted to go and help them. There was a restriction on that because the king uh, in King Artaxerxes was kind of he was the one who was holding him back. He couldn't just leave and do a what we call absent without leave. He had to kind of get the approval from the king. And one day it says the king allowed him to go back to fulfill this passion, this dream to build the walls, to rebuild the walls so that Jerusalem would not only be protected by this wall, but the community, the strength of the community would be uh, re, you know, restored back. And so what we find is, and we, there's so much to read in this, but I'm trying to bring you to this place where we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11, where Nehemiah has just now had the go ahead from the king in Susa to say, listen, you go back and help your people. To rebuild this wall, like you said, in fact, I'll give you all the things you need. We'll, I'll sign off the documents so you can get the wood you need. I mean, what a great deal. I wish we could get free free wood and, and things like that for this church and all the things we need. But he says, whatever you need, you know, I'll, I'll make sure you get this to fulfill what you need to do. So Nehemiah has a plan. He has this visionary plan, not to necessarily build something from new, but to rebuild and to restore what was broken. Let me tell you today that what we're doing here in this city is where I believe that if we want to see God move in the next few years of what we want to see God doing here, it means we need to claim some ground. We need to claim and believe that God can give us some of the things we want in this city. Because it's not just about a little chapel on Tennyson Road. If you know my heart, it's about the loss and it's going out and reaching and taking ground for Jesus. When we were out on Tuesday night... We we saw that. The kingdom of God was far bigger than the four walls of this church. Amen? If you think it's about the four walls and the coffee downstairs, then you're wrong. It is simply about the kingdom of God, which has got no boundaries, but it has nothing to stop us that the whole of this city is our oyster and beyond into other countries too. We as God's people can make change, but we've got to have big dreams. And so many people I meet, they sometimes they just limit church to attending on Sunday morning as this is just coming to a building to sing some songs. And it's not, because there is more to it. The kingdom of God is far greater. So Nehemiah has this plan, and we're going to pick up where Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. He's got the backing of the king in Susa. He goes knowing that he's got this backing. And now he arrives to check out and look at what he's got to try and build and restore. It says here, verse 11 in Nehemiah 2. Nehemiah says, so I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate. I'm not sure what kind of gate that is, but it doesn't sound very good, does it? To inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there or where I was, what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Verse 18, then I told them about how gracious, how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Verse 19, but when Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contempt- contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you re- rebelling against the king? They asked I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Now I want you to just skip to Nehemiah chapter 4, just a little bit further on in verse 1. Nehemiah 4, and verse 1. It says this, Sambalat, this is one of the guys who's just been getting a little bit angry because of what Nehemiah's plans are. Sambalat was very Angry When he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? And charred ones at that. Tobiah, this is another one of the negative crowd. The Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked this. That stone wall would collapse if even a fox, fox walked along it. The top of it. Verse 4, then I prayed. Here is our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last the wall was completed to half its height and around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Amen. There's a lot of text to read there, and and I encourage you to read. I think it's 13 chapters of Nehemiah. Read the whole thing, but I want to just focus on this as we springboard off today, on the fact that Nehemiah comes with this great plan. He has this plan to rebuild. In fact, it says he arrives. The first thing he does is he goes and scouts out the land, checks out what's going on. He doesn't even tell anyone. He doesn't tell the priests, the officials. He tells no one. He goes out on his little donkey at night. He gets a few problems trying to get over some rubble, but he looks around and checks out What needs to be done? That's wise leadership. If looking ahead and visionary and saying, this is what we need to do. Checking out the land and seeing what needs to happen before he reveals his plans. And I want to encourage you today that I believe that this church has a great future. I believe this church has a great mission for itself. And it's not just to see some people sat in this room every single week singing songs. Amen. I believe there's a great vision that God has got and he's appointed me and put me in place to do this. But there's going to be people come after me and people are going to lead and run with their own vision. But for now, God has put me in this place to see that we will facilitate his plans for this hour. And I really, really believe that we need to see from this, and I want to draw from this today, that Nehemiah, if he had these plans and he wants to come, there are things that are going to come our way and it's not going to be easy when we believe for God to do great things. Amen? The moment that we start to think and think big, and with the moment we start to think bigger about what God wants to do in this church, we're going to get some of the most greatest attacks you'll ever know. Do you know that? Do you think that we're just gonna be drinking coffee every week and enjoying this and the whole thing gets, grows and grows and God advances? No, there is always trouble. You read the Bible, you'll find that there's always trouble around when God is doing something good. It's, it's true. You'll see it all the way through the Word of God. But I want to just pick up first of all, and it sums the whole thing up in Nehemiah in 2 and 4 what we've just read. There's one line right at the end in verse 8 in Nehemiah chapter 4. And it says this, the enemy made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw them into confusion. Listen to me. Our biggest struggles today are not terrorists and bombs that can destroy flesh and blood. It is the enemy that comes in a spiritual realm to confuse us in what we're doing. Do you know something? You can It's so obvious that we can see what the enemy is doing on the TV when we turn it on. And we see all these things happening all over the world. These terrible things. But listen, sometimes I believe that the enemy likes us to focus so much on that. That we lose the focus on the subtleties of what he's doing. The Bible says that he masquerades as an angel of light. Therefore, that means he's up to some, while ever he's getting us focused on some of the bad stuff in the world that's destroying flesh, we are, we're missing out on what the enemy is trying to do against God's plans on the underground. Underneath all this, the subtle things. And I want to encourage you today that we, as a church, need to be ready, not to be uh, distracted by what's going on in the world, but to keep focused on what God is doing, and to be aware that there are subtleties, and be ready for them. Amen? Confusion is what he says. He says it comes with confusion. The title of the first session today is Confusion Delusion. Confusion Delusion. The reason why is because we can get so confused. We can get so confused and become deluded into thinking and giving up on God sometimes. And we throw in the towel. We give up on what God wants to do. We're so close. We're so close to what God is wanting to do in our lives and this church. But we get confused by the enemy coming into our lives. And that can be in many different ways. Many different ways today that the enemy will come to try and challenge you to confuse you. Do you know today is such a special day that people are getting baptized and they're showing their decision to follow Jesus they're stepping into that new life and showing this outward public display this is what I want to do this is my desire as we sung this morning I want to honor you God they're they're making that decision this today but you know the moment you do that we keep hearing it the last few weeks the moment we do this there's a battle ahead you know it can be joyous but there is a battle and that's you will only see the battle when you give your life to Jesus when the Spirit of God comes into you, you'll see the battle. And we wage war, not against flesh and blood, says Paul in Ephesians, but against the principalities, the powers of the air, the things of subtle things. Confusion, delusion. Let's look at what Nehemiah, he had this visionary plan. What can we learn from it? Number one today is this. I believe as a church, if we are moving forward, forget all of the plans and the ideas, that comes later. First of all, what's, what needs to be right is the people. The church is built on living stones, not bricks and mortar, or in other words, nice stonework that Steve put in place. It's not that that builds this church. It is the people. We are the living stones. If the living stones are in bad condition, then we're never going to build anything. So we need to be strong in ourselves ourselves. But let me tell you this, that I believe that we need to pursue collaboration. We need to make sure that we come together as a body. We need to be strong as a body and join together in what God's going to do. Let's look back. Nehemiah 2, verse 17 said this. But now, Nehemiah, I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild, he said. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how gracious the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. Listen, what the first thing he does, he comes with this plan. He has wept. He has seen in his heart what he needs to see built. But listen, he comes with his plan and he doesn't say, listen, guys, I've got this amazing plan. We're gonna, I want to build this. I want to do this. I've seen it in my heart. The king has given me the agreement to give all the materials. We've got everything we need. He doesn't say, I've come and I've checked out the land the last few days and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to build this. No, he says, let us build. In other words... For, for, a ch- for us to succeed in what God wants to do, even if I have a visionary plan, it cannot happen without you. Do you understand? Do you think that everything's going to happen because I'm, I'm the one who's pastoring the church? No, it's only going to happen through the body of Christ. Because he comes with the visionary plan that God showed him, but then he says, let us rebuild. Now listen to me, do you think that these people were ready for building? They were disgruntled, they were tired, they were dejected, they didn't feel like doing anything. And he comes and he's trying to round up saying, listen, I want to tell you, there's a we can do this. Do you understand? We can do it. I know things are hard in our lives and your life, but you can do this. We can do it together. I want to encourage you today. Some of us think that we can do it on our own. We don't think we need church. We don't think we need to be in the body of Christ. Listen to me. It is key. It is designed by God, the church itself, for us to join together, to work together, to fulfill his plans. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. Jesus is building his church. But listen to me. He's building his church, but it needs people like you to obey him to facilitate it. He doesn't just come in and make it happen. He needs people like you and me to facilitate these plans. He told them about the king's support. Now listen, he comes and he says this. He said, I want us, let us rebuild, he says. But then he says, I want to tell you about how gracious the hand of the Lord is upon me. And he says, the conversation with the king. Now, this was a human king, but let me tell you today, I believe that we have the king of kings backing us in everything that we're doing in this church. Jesus is our king. He has given me this heart, this passion, and this doesn't just come from a human, human ideas. It comes from me having conversations with the king and the king showing me his heart of what he wants to see. And I see something far greater than what we see. And he says, I've had a conversation with the king. This must have encouraged them. He said to them, guys, do you understand? The king signed off all the wood for us. And he says, we can have this, this and this. They'd have probably been going, how are you going to do this? Look at the rocks, the charred. Look, we can't do this. And he's saying, listen, you don't understand. I had, a, I, had a, I had a one-to-one coffee with the king in Susa. And he said he would sign everything off. I've got his backing. Well, let me tell you today, we have the backing of the king of kings. There is nothing he doesn't have in his storehouses. There is nothing too impossible for him, for this church. It's only if we disbelieve that it won't happen. I believe today that we need to come together as a church, believe for collaboration, not trying to do things on our own. In Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25, Paul says this, "...and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds." Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another again, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's a lot of one another's there, isn't there? Together. Paul encourages, he encourages there to be together. How many of you remember this? Was it an advert used to come, we want to be together? Remember that? Some of you may not remember it. It used to... We want to be together. Well, we do want to be together. If we want to achieve everything, we've got to do it together. We want to be together. That doesn't sound like it, does it? But but some of us, you know, we... We like to carry things on our own. We like to carry our own ministry, our own problems, and we don't think the church can help. We don't think it's needful. Listen, it's God's design for the church for you to be edified, encouraged, built up, strengthened so that you can fulfill what God has called you to do. Do you know what? There's not one person in this room who's got any limits on them. No one's got any limits on them. It's not that anyone's, you know, they're the special ones and they can do great things for God. Every single person in this room I see in front of me is just like that time when Nehemiah would have looked out and seen all these people. I'm telling you today, we got the king's backing. There's nothing impossible for us. If you don't believe, then that's your problem. But I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you this morning not to believe and don't think that you can do this on your own. Some of us, we share, we, they'd have looked at the problems of the wall thinking, this is just a problem. They carried these burdens and thought, there's no point we can do this. But Nehemiah, what he does is he brings and unites. And he's effectively he's bringing the church together. He's saying, no, you can't do it on your own. If you carry on looking at the problems around you, all these, these this wall that's been broken, you can't do it on your own. That's why I'm telling you, as a people, we've got to come together. I want to encourage you today that collaboration together is key for our future. It's key for what God wants us to do. Don't carry the burdens and the problems of thinking, it's just impossible, we can't do this. My mum used to say to me when I was younger, a problem halved is a problem shared. Well, it is. It's true. I remember whenever I I shared a problem with someone, I don't know if you feel like this, it feels like 50% of the weight load just goes because you've dumped it on them as well. I feel sorry for the people you're dumping the other 50% onto. You know, the the more you share, the more you can spread spread it out. Spread the load. And I want to encourage you today that it's good to share our problems with each other. That's part of the strengthening. It's not just coming together and saying, we can do this. But actually, coming together is part of sharing the problems of our lives with each other. Finding in the church people you can share with and be open with. So there's a body we come so strengthened and encouraging each other. Amen? We need to collaborate together. Acts 20 verse 28, Paul said this, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. In other words, I believe that Jesus bought the church. He bought the idea of the model of us coming together. He's precious to him. Therefore, it's not about our ministries. It's not about what I can do on my own. If you remember when Jesus speaks to Peter, and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. He didn't, he didn't say to Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build your ministry, mate. I'm going to build your ministry, and you're going to do really well. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. It's not about the individuals. As soon as it becomes about the individuals, you've lost it. It's about a group coming together. If everyone unites with the same mind, imagine what can be achieved. But the enemy does this. What he does is he uses disunity to destroying confusion. He looks he gets people to focus on the problem. It's just not possible to do this on our own. So when he gets you into that place of disunity and trying to look at a future ahead of trying to do something great for God, not only in this church, but in your own lives, the enemy comes to try and get you on your own so that you cannot have strength from others. And if he can get you into disunity, then he can destroy your hope of that there is a way forward and getting forward in what God wants to do in your life. In Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 to 10, Solomon writes this. He says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. Verse 10, if either of, either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Then in verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, together. We want to be Together. We want to do things together because that's the only strength. Listen, do you know something? Some people look at me sometimes and they, they come and they do put their problems onto me and I try to help them. Listen, I need sometimes to put my problems onto you. Do you think that I'm immune to these things? Do you think that I'm immune to the things that go on in our lives? We all need to strengthen each other. And I appreciate you guys. I appreciate everyone in this church, the people that come to me and they sometimes ask me, how are you? Are you okay? And they asked me this because, do you know what? I'm no different to any single person in the room. And if I'm going to try and help us and lead us, then I need your support. I need your prayers. I need the body of Christ behind me. And I want to tell you today, I'm really thankful for you all, for everyone in this room. Some of you, I don't know you more than others, and some I speak to less. But I want to tell you, I still appreciate you. And I believe that moving forward, we need to make sure we strengthen this, that we come together. Because the days are evil. The days are evil. The more and more these days get evil, the more and more problems come, and these difficulties come. We need to be together. One of the things we're going to be doing, in in to sum this first point up, one of the things we're going to be doing in the next few weeks, you'll see this, we're going to be trying to pull together the membership of the church, in trying to find and discover who is with us and who's not. Why do I do that? That's not just to get a name on a piece of paper. That's because we need to know, just as Nehemiah went and he'd have asked around, there'd have been people saying, well, we're not doing this. This is crazy. We're not part of this vision. Listen to me. I believe it's right for us to do this as a church. It was funny last week. Pastor Ralph says, I don't even know if I'm a member of the church anymore. Well, if he doesn't know, that's a problem, isn't it? So what we're going to be doing is in the next few weeks, we're going to be pulling together some of the administration. And even if you think you're already a member, let's just... We want to start from scratch and sort out the administration of getting to know who is with us for the future journey of this church. Because I believe that God will do things through us when we say, yeah, I'm partnering with the vision. I'm partnering with what you want to do. I believe there's something in that. And it it gets away the disunity. It breaks away from that and says we want to do this together. Amen. Number two today. Presume opposition. Presume opposition. Opposition. Nehemiah, in chapter two, verse nineteen, it says this: "When Samballot, this is the you know the negative crowd. Everyone's got these negative people, aren't they, in their lives who come along and always seem to put a downer on what you're doing? Have you had that? Everyone's got one of these negative people. I could ask every single person. Someone when things are going great, someone always has to put their little oar in, don't they? Have you got them? Don't lie." Everyone's got a Sambalat, a a Tobiah, and a Geshem. Everyone's got one of these people. He says this, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. Notice that, that what they do is, here, they come in opposition, trying to show that there's some legal problem with what they're doing. They're trying to use legalistic views to try and say, are you rebelling against the king? Are you doing something you shouldn't be doing? And they come and oppose. But then they all start whipping each other up. And then you see one of them comes and he says this. He said this. Nehemiah replied and said that we will succeed. God will help us succeed. But notice when they come and they oppose this, he comes and says, God will help us succeed. You see this. The enemy likes to come and bring a legalistic view over your life. Forget the church for a minute. What he always does is notice this. Jesus, when he's in the desert and he's been tempted in the desert, Always, Jesus responds with the Word of God. Some of us in here are having attacks from the enemy of saying you don't have any legal right to be a Christian, you don't have any legal right to be a follower of Jesus because you're a sinner, you do these things wrong, and, and they will constantly, the enemy is constantly putting legalistic views over your life. But I want to tell you today that Jesus has saved you. If you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, then you are forgiven of all your sin. There is no legal right over your life. Because you have claimed your inheritance with him. And some, and many of us today are fighting every day with the enemy saying, you don't have a legal right to claim this because you're a sinner. And I want to tell you today that you can respond to, G, to, to the enemy's voice that tries to put you down and opposes you. In what God wants to do in your life and tell them, tell the enemy, tell these voices that Jesus has saved me and I stand under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you try and stand under your own legal right, you're going to fail. But Nehemiah said this, the God of heaven will help us succeed. And he said this, you have no share, this is his reply, you have no share legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. In other words, stop coming at me with lies that... that you have some legal claim over my life, because it's not true. And the enemy will come with lies to say that he has a legal claim over your life. Do you know what? The Bible says in Revelation that he is the accuser of the brethren. In other words, every single day, all the time, the enemy is always trying to accuse us of sin before Jesus. And do you know what Jesus is doing? He's the great intercessor. He's praying on your behalf that we don't fall into sin and fall away. I believe Jesus is constantly in heaven defending us as the enemy comes saying, did you see what Charles did or Nick did last week? Did you see what they did, what Anne did last week when she said that to so-and-so? And, and, and Jesus turned around saying, these are my children. These are washed in the blood. I want you to be encouraged today that as much opposition comes, you, we're going to get the opposition. The moment you step out and do great things for God, the opposition is going to come. It's going to come so fast on you. You're going to know. I realize that the more we've been doing things for God in this city, I keep seem to feel like there's more oppression. That there's more opposition coming towards us. When we were outside just last year, I think it was, and we were we're still trying to get planning permission approved, and they keep sending us the mail saying, you've got to do this by X date, we do it by that date, and then we never hear from them again. Charming. But we were stood out the front and, we were talking about the sign and everything on the front. And one of the things we asked them was, because many of you know we want to do the front section, the courtyard up. And one of the things was we were stood in front of the wall, me, Jaren, and Steve. And we were stood there. And uh, the conservation team was stood there. And the, count, the planning councillors were stood questioning. And I said, if we want to sort this wall out, knock it down, or do anything to this front wall, do we need permission? And straight away, the conservation officer that had been really causing me a few problems already said, yes. You will need to get past me first, in other words. And I thought, well, here we go again. More opposition to what we want to do. But I was so thrilled when the planning officer turned around and said, actually, the wall falls below the height of the legal requirements. Therefore, it's not anything to do with us. Well, they had a little fight between them, which was really funny to watch. And I was like, nice one. And I was so happy that for this time, we didn't. there was no legal right. But immediately when she said it to me in such kind of venom in some way, I really felt that this they had a legal right over what God wanted to do, our plans and our vision. But it was great when I realized that actually when he stepped in and says, no, that's not right. Well, I want to tell you today, it's the same over your lives. There are peop- the enemy comes in and starts to falsely say there are legal rights over what you can and can't do because of who you are in Christ. He lies to you. He's the father of lies. And the thing that is going to cripple us, forget big buildings, forget what God wants to do. If he affects the stones, the living stones in this church to believe they are not, they cannot do things great for God, that we're sinners, that we're not good enough, that we're just second rate people, then if we think like that, we're never going to achieve anything. I want to tell you today that God wants you to know that he has saved you. You're no different to anyone else in the world. The world is our oyster. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 5, that the devil prowls like a, ro- a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. In other words, he isn't a lion, he's like one. He's not a lion, he's like a lion. He's got a roar a little bit like a lion, but he's not one. The kids this morning were playing around with a, a, a dinosaur thing at home. I put some batteries in it, the thing were roaring away. It wasn't a dinosaur, but it sounded like one. But its roar wasn't very strong. Listen, the enemy might sound as though he's roaring in your life. Opposing you of everything God wants to do in your life. But listen, as much as he roars, he is not a lion and he cannot hurt you. Because when we're washed in the blood, when we're covered under Jesus, we are protected. Amen? Our salvation is protected. Satan's agenda is to bring false accusation against you and me. He does it all the time. And if we believe it. We will fall. But I believe that God wants us to remember today that as a church, as we move forward, we've got to get past this false false accusation, false legal talk from the enemy and say, listen, I am a child of the living God. Listen, if Satan can affect the individuals in the church, he can affect us as a body. That's where it all begins. In disunity, opposing us and bringing these kind of things I really believe, as I was putting this together, that there's some people in here, and I just felt to say this, that I believe there's some people that recently have been thinking in their hearts to throw in the towel. To throw in the towel and to give up on God. To give up on even coming to this church. I felt the Lord say to me, I want you to tell them when you get to this, there is someone here who has been thinking that life's getting so hard that you don't feel like you can run with it anymore. That things are opposing you so much that you feel like throwing the towel. And I want to tell you today that God cares about you so much that he wants you to know this morning he doesn't want you to do that. Because he believes in you more than you believe in yourself. That's why. He believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And there's somebody here today maybe struggling with that. The, The things have got so tough in your life that you have listened to the false accusations of the enemy and you think, Do you know what? I just I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can be part of this anymore. Listen, Jesus always went for the one, didn't he? He's not interested in how many people get in the building. He's interested in the one and he will search after the one. And today he searches after you. If that's you, then God wants to speak that word to you today. I want you to do this today from now on. Respond to the false claims when the enemy comes against you with this. In 1 Peter two nine, it says this, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen. Peter says this, we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You tell that to the enemy. You respond with the word of God. Say, listen, I don't care what you say against my life. I don't care what you're saying against me because I am a chosen person. I'm a child of Of God. Number three today is this. We need to prepare as a church, as a people for intimidation too. We're going to get opposition of the legal things that the enemy comes. Even people will hurt you in church and oppose. But also in addition to this is intimidation. In this story when they come to rebuild this wall. The next thing that happens is they start to get intimidation. This is the thing. These opposition and intimidation that causes confusion. It causes confusion in your life because you think, am I supposed to be feeling like this? I, I gave my life to Jesus and I'm coming to the church and now I feel like everything's against me. Now I feel like I'm being intimidated. But listen, we need to prepare for intimidation. God didn't say that we're protected from it. We need to be ready for it. This is what it says in Nehemiah 4.2. He says this, Sambalat, the, you know, the negative one. What does this bunch of poor, this is what he calls them, poor. Feeble Jews think they're doing. Do they think they can build this wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? There he is, just he's putting down their religious, their their faith in what they're doing. Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? He says he's giving it everything, isn't he? And then Tobiah the Ammonite, he joins in and he. He stands up and he says, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox, fox walked along the top of it. You know, you're know, you just about to start fulfilling these plans and then you've got these guys rock up and start being a little rude. And they start to get you to question whether this is actually possible. Can we really do this? Nehemiah is saying one thing, they're saying another. We're stuck in between, I'm not really sure what to believe. This is confusion for you. The enemy loves confusion. He doesn't need a weapon. Do you think he needs the, he doesn't need a weapon, he doesn't need no bomb, he needs to come into your life and confuse you to think that it's not possible. And so they start to question, and they find themselves in the middle of these remarks and intimidation. Have you ever felt that before? How many of you have been intimidated by someone? I have. I remember years ago when I was at school, I used to, I used to go to school and I I had, and I, I used to go to school by the way. And my mum, uh, one day, everyone was getting into these jackets. You may not remember this; it depends how old you are. But everyone wanted a, a type of coat, and it was it was by a French company, I believe, called Naf Naf. Does anyone remember Naf Naf? Put your hand up if you do. You had a Naf. Everyone a Naf jacket. I wish I, was, I could have brought a picture, up maybe. But you could get a Naf Naf jacket. Now, what I didn't realise is I said to my mum, everyone at school is getting a Naf Naf jacket. She said to me, she goes, Well, I'll get you one then. If you if you'd like one, I'll look for one. It was like a what they called cagoules, It was protect you from the rain as well. So I said, I want a black one. Everyone wears black. So I got home one day from school, I got into the house and my mum said, I got you a I got you a present. So she gives me the bag and I open it up. She's been to the market in town and I open up this thing and I pull it out. First of all, I spot the colour. The colour's not black, it's bright turquoise blue. Well, my heart sank, you know, you've got to be thankful for the, the, the things you get, but my heart sank. I looked in the bag and I thought, blue, everyone's got black. And then I thought, I want to see the NAF NAF logo on the back. You know, people will forget the color, they'll see the logo, they'll think I'm cool. And I pulled out this coat out of the bag and it didn't say NAF NAF, it said NAF and co. Now, you know, today NAF means very something very much different maybe to what it did then. I mean, to say you've got a NAF jacket, it's not very good, is it? And I pulled this jacket out and it didn't say naf naf, it said naf cut. This was the cheaper alternative to the naf naf jacket. Not that you want a naf jacket. And I put and I said, Mum, I'm so thankful. And I put it on, and this thing was bright blue. You could see me from a mile off. And I was so dreading to go to school. And I went in, I'll never forget the morning I went in. People started to call me names. Does anyone remember in French? We used to have some books called the Trick Law Books. People used to say, Hey Phil. Turn to page 69, and I'd look at page 69. I'd turn the page, and I'd find they said that's you. And I'd look and see a guy, a French guy with a, a blue cagoule. I thought that's it. I'm not wearing this coat ever again. This is not happening. And I went home. And my mum said, you've got to wear it. I bought it, and I'm, mum, I can't wear the jacket. And I was intimidated. I didn't want to wear this coat. Honestly, I wanted to burn the coat. I wish I had a picture to show you of me in the coat. But listen. The words that they used to say, I remember, sat in French and someone saying, turn to this page. And I looked at the page and I could hear them giggling. And I looked down and I see a guy in France in a picture in the book wearing a blue coat. And I thought, this is just not good. But listen to me. When people said these things, it hurt me. And I felt so intimidated. I didn't want to go to school. Many people say this. Six and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, I'm going to tell you today that sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will always hurt you. In fact, sometimes they kill us. And there's people who have intimidated you in your lives, and it's not true to believe that sticks and stones, that, that the words will not hurt you, because listen to me today. Think People have said things, I've remembered the naf naff jacket story, it's still with me. Because then it hurt me. You know, I've had times at school when these things happened. And I'm sure many people could bring stories of where you've been bullied or maybe people have said things to you. But listen, intimidation is so powerful, it's so strong, it will grip you on the deepest part of your life. There's people who have said things against you in your life. They've intimidated put you down. They've said things against you that today you find it hard to pick yourself back up. And that's what these guys were doing, Tobiah and Sambalat and Geshem. They were there straight in at the beginning to try and stop them before they could ever succeed anything. I want to tell you that intimidation, words that are said against your life, are far more powerful sometimes than a weapon against you. I was watching a program the other day, and they were talking in Middlesbrough about uh, refugees that had come over, and they called it the Red Door uh, refugees in Middlesbrough. And they said this, that they had these specific Red Doors. People were harassing them. There was racial uh, torment towards them. And I'll never forget the words of one of these Sudanese refugees. He said this to the news commentator. He said, whilst I was in Sudan, he said, people would beat me and torture me. When I've come here, now they attack me with words. He said, I'll tell you something. I much prefer to be in Sudan and be tortured against my body than to be tortured with words. There it is. There we see the realistic view that words are far more powerful. The enemy knows that he can decoy us with other things. But the truth is today that words people have said over our lives are enough to destroy us sometimes. Enough to destroy our vision of what God can do in our lives. I have put here that the wound of fear is usually caused by the weapon of intimidation. The wound of fear is usually caused by the weapon of intimidation. For a church with a big influence, we need to be big in boldness. Get rid of the fear. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power and a sound mind, the Bible says. Amen? He doesn't want us to have this spirit of fear within us. Why did Paul encourage Timothy to fan into flame, the gift of the spirit. He said this in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 to 7. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. In other words, his fear, his timidity had got hold of him. He said, stir up the gift of God, the spirit within you that will help help you not to be fearful and to give you boldness. That's what some of us need to do today stir and fan up, fan into flame the spirit of God in our lives again, so that you get boldness and strength that you've not known that can come from any human being. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they're before the Sanhedrin. They're getting called in before the Sanhedrin simply because of a man getting healed at the temple gate called Beautiful. You look at what happens. Miracles happen. They're advancing the kingdom. Great things happening. The guy goes into the temple, leaping and praising God. He's just been miraculously healed. You call that revival. You call that the church is advancing. Where do Peter and John find themselves a little bit later? They're before the Sanhedrin being intimidated. Listen to me. If you want a church that you don't feel intimidation, you'll find one. You'll find one okay. If you want a church where you don't feel the opposition, you will find one. If that's what you want in your life, then be rooted there. But listen to me. Every church that is going to advance for the kingdom of God is going to feel opposition. They're going to feel intimidation like you've never known. I want to be in that kind of church. Because I believe that the Bible stories reflect that type of model that we will feel oppression and intimidation. Because every time you feel that, you know God is doing something great. Someone said this, for every level, there's another devil. For every level, there's another devil. Well, I met one the other night, and he was handing rounds from smoke in his hand and doing things above a guy, but there's always another devil. There's always someone else challenging us in what we're doing. But listen to me. I believe that if we trust God, he is with us all the time to succeed. He will not let us fail. King's Church is a church that is seeking to go to the next level. We're not staying here. We're not staying here and we're going to feel opposition. We might be feeling opposition with the Outer Court Project and all the the, the things like this. But listen to me. I felt opposition from even people coming in my office. Religious leaders from across this city telling me not to preach the gospel. I've had it. You might not see this on Sunday. Sam knows about it. He was with me. We had someone come in. I'm not going to mention who came into my office telling me not to preach and pray for the sick. Effectively. From another religion. I don't stop. I don't care what these people are and what they do. I'm a believer in what Nehemiah, the same heart he had when he saw and he wept over and he knew what was possible. He knew what was possible. I want to encourage you to Join me in this. Believe Jesus calling us to something bigger. I come soon to a close. But finally, number four is this. This is key too, that we must preserve our passion. Preserve our passion. You see, all of these things that I have mentioned, collaboration to start with is good. That will help you and strengthen you. Coming together as a church, believing for that. But the two things I mentioned in between are the things that are going to come and attack you. These are the things that are going to try and stop us from advancing in the kingdom of God and what this church is going to do. But do you know what? When you go through all of these things, the thing that the enemy wants to do is not only rob you of your hope and belief and faith in God, but he wants to take your passion. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, I remember I was so passionate, so happy, so thrilled to serve him. And I still am today, but sometimes, I don't know about you, do you feel sometimes like quitting, throwing in the towel because your passion is robbed, it's drawn from you because of life's trials? Some of you today may feel like that way and you feel guilty for thinking it. But listen to me today. The truth is every single person across the world is feeling that. But we need to preserve that passion. Let's look at what happens in Nehemiah 4 and verse 6. It says this. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Now they've got halfway. Do you see there? He says it was completed to half its height. In other words, it sounds like they had a phase one and a phase two. We've completed phase one. We've got to half the height. They didn't say we're halfway through the job. We're nearly done. They said we've completed it to half the height. And it says they worked with enthusiasm to get it to that place. But actually, there was still phase two. They still had another 50% of the build to do. Listen to me today. I believe that we are getting towards that point where we're fulfilling not the top of what God wants to do, but we're halfway up. We're, there's far more to do. We've been passionate and enthusiastic about building what God is doing in this church and joining in and doing things, getting it up. And we're looking at phase one. We've completed it. Half, look at this. I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm doing decorating, And I get so far through a project that sometimes I'm I'm happy with halfway through. I can't can't be bothered to finish it. You know, it gets too much, doesn't it? And Emma, she's like, have you finished this yet? Well, aren't you happy with what it looks like now? And some of us want to quit halfway through the job. This is what the enemy wants you to do now. He wants you to, to rob our passion so that we don't feel like building the rest. We don't feel like going any further. And we stop halfway. They reached half the height. Some of us today might be thinking, well, I thought this was the top. I thought this is great. We're seeing God do miracles. This is nothing compared to what God can do. It's a drop in the ocean. It's a drop in the ocean. In fact, do you know what? To the day he returns, we're never going to say this is enough. Well, I'm not. In fact, we'll probably never complete it. Thankfully, he'll return. Hopefully, he will. But listen to me. Don't give up now. Don't give up on your passion. That he says that they worked so hard and enthusiastically. Another version says they give it with, they did it with, they worked with all their heart. Some of you have worked with your heart into this church, but you feel tired, and sometimes your passion's been lost. Listen to me. Make sure you rest and get into that place again where you're enthusiastic about building again, where you can believe. Don't give up at half the height. Just a few years back, me and Emma went to Paris. I told you the story recently about us going to Paris. And we went Then we went to the Eiffel Tower. And as we got to the Eiffel Tower, I've always wanted to go up the Eiffel Tower to see the top. And has anyone seen the Eiffel Tower at the top? And we wanted to go right to the top. And I remember getting there and we walked. I said we can either take the lift, I think, or it's cheaper to walk up the steps. So as a northern, I chose the cheaper option. I was tired. So we went up, you walk up the legs and we get so far up and I'll never forget, if, if, if you want to know one of my phobias, it's claustrophobia. I find it very difficult in small spaces. You know, that's why you never see me in the lift. And we got there, and, and, and we got halfway up, and if you know the Eiffel Tower, you can get so far up, and you can look around 360 degrees, you can see an amazing view, it's brilliant. But you can see the second phase of getting up to the top requires you to get into this tiny little lift, and I was looking, I spent about half an hour with Emma debating on whether I'd actually get in the lift or not. And I said, I can't do this. And she said, come on, we can. We'll we we see the top. And I said, well, we can still see the same things. We're high up. We can see everything. We can walk all around. We can take pictures. And eventually she talked me into getting into this tiny little lift. Now, the problem was they were cramming people into this lift so tightly like sardines. And I thought, this is not just some lift where you can stand in and feel like you've got some freedom to walk around and phone up an emergency number. No, this is cramming people in. And, and I said to him, I said, I'm not sure I want to do this. And then eventually I said, come on, we'll do it. I'll never forget getting in this lift. And I was like this, all the way to the top. My heart was going 50 to the dozen. And I get to the top. Then we get outside at the top. And if you've ever been to the Eiffel Tower, if it's changed, it may have done. But at the top, there was this little display of a, of a, of a, like a, is it still there? A, a glass room with a man, a mannequin inside the room, sat writing something. And he's, you think, who's this guy? And he's made out of plastic. And you look, and then on the board on the outside of the door, it says, in I don't know, 1939 or whatever it was, there was a fire at the top of this tower. I thought, I have just. I've just took the decision to come up and now they bring a little historic display on the fact that there was a fire and the only way down is to wait for the queue to get back in the lift. How dare they? But I'll tell you what, the photographs were far more amazing up there. (sighs) The photographs, do you ever find this, that people always, I don't know why we do this, but we always, we put our cameras out and we try to take a picture of the, the, the level, everyone's like this taking a picture Looking down and then you get them home and you can never get the depth of field, can you? When you're really there, you look thinking, why did I take that picture? And I don't know about you, but I get these urges to throw my camera as well. I don't know about you, but I just, I take a, and I want to just let go of the camera. Does anyone get these kind of urges? Is it just me? I went to the top of the Empire States building with Emma. We went to the top of the Rockefeller. I was, there were, at the Rockefeller Center, there's glass with a little gap. And I don't know why, but when I got to the top, I had this urge to get through the glass and jump. And I suffer from vertigo. I don't know if it's, I just need to get this out of my system. But do you get these kind of things? But listen to me. You know you do. But listen to me. The difference of the view was far better. The difference at the top was so much better. The perspective, the difference was far greater and it was worth Getting in this lift and suffering to the top, listen to me, some of us today we 're hanging around at the bottom of the eiffel tower we 're looking at the restaurant menu thinking i 'll just stay here and spend my money on the restaurant rather than going up we 're not going to bother going up the kit, the pictures it's, it's, this is good enough we 're content, but listen, God is sent to you today you 're only you 're not even halfway to what i 've done in you. Take the same passion, go to the top, reach and dream big because I'm going to show you and when you get there, you'll see from my perspective. That goes for your lives and this church to dream big, to think beyond what's possible. Amen. The opposition and intimidation is always going to be at war with your passion. But to finish this, if the worship team could just join me. But to finish this, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul encourages us with this. He says to not give up and he says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In other words, for you today, maybe thinking, Do you know what? I'm excited about what kings and what God's been doing in my life. But I'm just, I'm, I'm worn out. I can't carry on. Listen, the word of the Lord to you today. Don't throw in the towel. You faced intimidation. You faced people in your lives, in your own family, in your homes. You felt problems. Even in church, people have intimidated you. Even fellow believers sometimes intimidate us and try to stop us. Try to stop the fulfillment of God's plan. Look at Peter. He tried to stop Jesus going to the cross. He said, get behind me, Satan. Don't say that to anyone else in the church. The next time someone says to you something bad, don't say, get behind me, Satan. There's another way of doing it. But listen to me. We're so close to God breaking through. And listen, when you break through, the momentum is not by our momentum. It's by the Spirit. So the Spirit will take this thing forward and God will do something great. And I see a church that is big and great in everything it's doing, not just physically in its building, but in our hearts. That we believe for the impossible. That we are not put off by the Sambalats, the Tobias, and the Geshems, those who always come and bring negative comment against what we're doing. Because whatever it is, whether it's counsel, whether it's in your family, at home, whoever's trying to destroy what God is doing in your life and your future, listen to me. The truth is this that God has His hand upon every single one of us. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today.